0: What's happening everybody? Welcome back to our 18th episode of the Carbide Podcast with Jesse James Bonaduce. In case you've been living under a rock, I cover a lot of riders and stories from snowcross on the east coast of the United States, as that's where I grew up and where my racing roots are. Jesse's been on my list for a while being one of the top riders we had coming up through the ranks in the early 2010s. Jesse was basically a walking hole shot and that was always evident in the pro light division out east or even his iconic sport class win in Duluth in 2012. From the back row, mind you. Beyond his cool racing stories, Jesse's also dove headfirst into the YouTube world with his Jesse James 322 channel, focusing a lot on Polaris Matrix content and snowmobile service, alongside another East Coast legend in Bruce party There's a lot of variety in this one, guys, so I hope you enjoy it. Track. It is going to be Jesse James Bonaducci out in front. You guys called it. What a great start for him. Checker's flag out. Jesse James Bonaduce will take the win. On a Somerville, New Jersey, racing for Eagle performance, Skidoo at Mike's Towing and Recovery. 322 Skidoo, Jesse James Bonaducci. And welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast. Appreciate everybody tuning in once again. On the line tonight, perennial race winner at East Coast Snowcross in the Pro Light Division. He's a sport class winner in ISOC. He also operates the Jesse James 322 YouTube channel, which at the time of recording, 7,000 subscribers. Jersey's own Jesse James Bonaduce. How are we doing, Jesse?
1: Good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate
0: it. For sure, for sure. Yeah, you've been on my list for a while, just kind of as an East Coast snowcrest guy, but also a, a snowmobile content guy just as a whole. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into your career and talk some YouTube stuff for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about everything from start to finish and everything in the middle.
0: <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to it. So growing up in New Jersey, how did you kind of first get introduced to the to the power sports world as a whole? Like where did this all start for you?
1: So family was always engine motorsports oriented and um family grew up riding snowmobiles you know it's just a family and friend type deal you know recreationally mm-hmm. and uh so i grew up you know as, well, as soon as i was able to walk i had a you know an mxz 120 and then you know, from there it was a 440 and so on and so forth and you know we used to have a house in the poconos in pennsylvania and then you know gotcha. when snow got scarce there we started kind of traveling and ended up at lake george new york and that's pretty much where I grew up in learning how to ride.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Cause I, I was going to ask about that. It, it's definitely my ignorance, but I was kind of curious <laughs> what the snowmobile scene looked like in, in Jersey. Cause I always hear like, um, you talk to to Darren Meese or Garrett Meese and they're like, yeah, we, we traveled to ride. Like yeah. we grew up at a, in the cabin riding. Like we never rode at home. So it sounds like, no, kinda, never. Yeah. Similar once, for you then.
1: Yeah. Once in a blue moon, you know, we were able to, uh, you know, kind of unload the sleds out of the trailer. And if we get like a random nor'easter and ride the streets and oh, but yeah. there's no, tra- there's no trail system or anything. So I grew up in a car traveling to find snow to ride our snowmobiles.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So in all these kind of travels, when did you first, I mean, your family has some history in racing as a whole, but when did you kind of first witness some, some snow cross racing or some snowmobile um, racing as a whole?
1: So there, there was a race back in the day. It was, um, Oh man, I'm drawing a blank on the what the circuit was. It wasn't RMR. It was, uh, East drawing a blank. We'll have to come back to that. It'll come. It'll <laughs> pop in my head at some point. But anyway, they used to have a race at big Boulder in Pennsylvania. They okay. had one at big Boulder and they had one at Jack Frost, which is only like 45 minutes for me. So, you know, I was used to catch it once in a blue moon when it was on TV and I thought it was cool. And then, um, I think one year, you know, as the whole family we went there just to check it out and see what was going on. And at the time, uh, we were buying all of our sleds from Smith Marine in New Britain PA and their mechanic had a four forty race sled, a rev. I think it was an four, O mm-hmm. four, oh four, oh five. And uh we went and watched on Saturday and then um my old man ended up talking to the mechanic and be like, Hey, can my kid try it tomorrow? And uh <laughs> And then that was the beginning of the end
0: (laughs) oh man i i love that story yeah it's of course it's of course it's dad initiating it right yeah (laughs)
1: yeah dad yeah being the racer in the back you know growing up his entire life too it's like well yeah you want to try racing sure here you go
0: (laughs) so yeah it sounds like dad was super supportive from the from the get-go but did you get additional support from the rest of your family like were they all rallying behind you
1: oh without a doubt i mean it was it didn't matter what type of racing. And I mean, I'm sure we'll get into my car racing, um, in the future on this podcast, but yeah, it was like, wherever we went, we had 15 people, you know, family, you know, friends that are practically family, but yeah, we had a, I had a huge support system anytime I went anywhere or did anything.
0: Gotcha. So do you remember that first race then? Like how it actually went?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I, it was a ski mountain. So, of course, it's, you know, intimidating. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, just getting on the sled. I have no idea anything about it. And uh, I think the one thing was, it was like there was two downhill doubles in a row. And then I finally got the courage to do like the first one. And and then the second one, I think I cased it and I hit the kill switch because it was, you know, in the wrong spot. And like that sticks in my head. But I think in the finals, I ended up getting like fourth and fifth in the junior class. You know, back then it was... Mm-hmm. What was I junior it was fourteen fifteen yeah it's pretty so, impressive then yeah it was uh obviously a quick learning curve and but uh <laughs> yeah we had a, it was fun and then you know that was when i got that was when I got hooked and trapped into this the whole racing world
0: so kind of going through the the junior classes and then eventually in sport you know i I do a lot of research for these pods half the time, the information is not available at all, which is really yeah. a bummer, but kind of your junior class career and your sport class career before moving to to semi pro and pro light, where were those years? Like, like, were you competitive? Were you winning championships? What did that look like? I was
1: like? Su- I was super competitive. The first full year that I did, um, again, back then RMR was split up into East and West, I believe. Um, and I think I ran the East the first full season, you know, it would have been technically half a season for RMR and, in total, but I ran, you know, just the East races. And um, I was running pretty good. That's when Jake Scott came into the scene. So he was like, he was number one competition. I ended up fracturing my wrist that first full year. So I missed one race, but then I came back. And again, I think it was four or five races or five or six races, something like that. And I'm 99% sure I got second in um, all of my classes to Jake. I think we are oh, yeah. juniors and sport together.
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah. I uh it hasn't been posted yet, but by the time this one comes out it will. I just recorded an episode with Levi Valley and there's some there's, oh, some, no Jake, way. there's some Jake Scott talking there <laughs> for sure. So yeah. uh yeah. yeah,
1: so Jake yeah, so from my you know, start of my career I had Jake as my main competitor on a Polaris. You know, I was on Skeeter this entire time and mm-hmm. so yeah, so those first two seasons and then that was again the first one was just kind of a half and then the second one we ran the whole thing and that was um that was 440 and 600 that's when the 600s just started coming out Mm -hmm. and uh but yeah so and then i ran that whole year you know full year but jumping between 440 and 600 same as jake did Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i think i i think i finished second to him again uh in all the championships
0: Oh man. Yeah. I'm sure, uh, sure. That must've, I mean, he's, he's a good friend of yours. So I'm sure it was cool. We're also kind of annoyed at the same time. It
1: was, Yeah. And I mean, you know, it was tough and I came into the scene and, you know, we were just uh, really a privateer type team and I didn't, I had no clue about anything sled related or, or, you know, how to set them up or I never touched anything. I mean, we nut and bolted the sled Mm -hmm. and cleaned the clutches, you know, but that was it. You know, I never, knew anything about different springs and different valving. I had no clue about any of that. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I literally took whatever the manufacturer, you know, produced that year and that's what I ran, you know, never rebuilt the shocks, never did anything. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was aggravating and Jake did obviously was beating me, but at the same token, you know, we were just still learning. We were just kind of getting going here. Um, and then half, probably three quarters of the way through that second season, um, before I went to pro light, um, Ziggy uh, came to my trailer and introduced mm-hmm. himself and and realized, you know, and Ziggy's incredible mechanic also, and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of was like, you're you know, here's a couple things you can change as a rider." But like, what are you guys doing for this, that, and the other thing? And I'm like, Ziggy, this is the same sled I unboxed out <laughs> of the crate. And he's like, he's like, pull all four of those shocks off and give it to me tomorrow mm-hmm. or tonight, <laughs> and I'll give them back to you in the morning. And I did, and that, that feature was the first feature that I beat Jake, you know, heads up.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, so then it was like, then it opened a whole another world of like, oh, wow, these sleds are way better than I thought they were.
0: <laughs> so, oh.
1: um, and then, yeah, we went on, you know, it was only two or three aces left. So we went on to battle, and, you know, he was dabbling in pro, almost well, semi-pro back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and then that next year, we jumped to, uh, we jumped up to pro light. I think that's when they changed it to pro light. And that okay. was with, that was on the cat.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So that would have been the, uh, the JAC team, your, your yeah, first Je- year with that program.
1: Yeah. The <laughs> Je- Jesse, Ash and Corin racing yep. team. So it was me, it was me Ash Wash Cobb and Corin Todd on that.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I was, I was going through some, some old pictures of you guys and you obviously you're just like teenagers at that point of just, oh, you know, yeah, we were really babies crazy fluorescent gear and helmets Uh and stuff like that and it was yeah yeah we
1: had pant yeah we we all had pant sag and design helmets that year uh (laughs) the sleds were big and green and i mean however those sleds worked they were unbelievable and you know we had corin who was very knowledgeable he was racing well before i was and Mm -hmm. his father was incredible mechanic and we had a guy named uh john that was helping out because we had so many sleds that year john was really good so those sleds were rocket ships and they worked so good so it really made my pro light first or pro light debut It looked like i was a, a rock star because of them things
0: <laughs> and this time too because there was probably there's probably still an open uh semi-pro or a pro light open class at this point do you guys have mod sleds or just stock they,
1: they just got rid of them
0: oh okay
1: <laughs> they just got rid of them i think that year that we all bumped up they got rid of them um so that was a bummer because I thought I always loved the mod sleds. Mm-hmm. Um, Pro still had open. Um, Corn ran a stock sled all the way up until I think like the last two races or so. Okay. Um, but yeah, my luckily, I mean, my number was three two two, as everyone knows. And uh, that year when the sled showed up, there was one where the VIN number, the last three were three two two. It was oh, actually perfect. supposed. It was supposed <laughs> to be Corin's Like on paper, it was Corin's but they gave it to me, and that thing was a, just a rocket ship. So even when we built his mod at the end of the year, we still couldn't get it to beat my stalker. We got oh, really? it like we got it like head to head, but it was that thing was just unreal. And I think we made one clutch change the entire year at the last race because it was a, a ski mountain. But other than that, that thing stayed stock, and it was just it really was, it was a rocket ship.
0: So at this time, you had only been, I mean, if you look at the timeline, you'd only been racing for like three four years before yeah, that, moving up to, to pro light
1: yeah that, yeah that was my third year wow like two two years and then we got thrown into the into the mix
0: so was moving up to pro light was it you definitely had the talent for sure but you know i i talked to you know uh lincoln lemieux when he jumped up to, to pro light his was all based on contingency he's like mm-hmm. I, my dad's not letting me race if there's no money involved in it Right for, for you was it similar or were you really just trying to chase the competition
1: No, you're chasing the competition. Um, I want to say Jake was still with us, but he might've jumped right to pro. I don't even remember where Jake went or he might've went out West at that point. Either way, it doesn't matter. I think he did go out West. Um, But yeah, you know, it was, he was my main comp and then he left and it was like, you know, you know, we're really going to start chasing this thing. The only way to get better is ride against faster people. So, you know, we made that jump and. it. And again, luckily, you know, the team that we had put together that year was awesome and the sleds were great. That was the last year that like wide front end Articat before they went to the new body. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were, they were just awesome. So it, it was a learning curve, you know, obviously the, the, the riders were faster and they were better. You know, I just lacked track smart at that point. You know, I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have enough track time to, to really be able to give it to these guys. And, uh, but we learned a lot, I mean, we ran really good I had a bunch of podiums that year. I don't think I won one that year, but I had a ton of podiums. We had a really, really good year.
0: Who were you battling against then in that season? if you can recall like who were the top Oof. guys in, we in were pro load
1: we were loaded. We had uh luke brunell mm-hmm. um we had chris ackerman oh yeah
0: 139 one
1: three nine one three nine designs Chris was still there. Jake de Silva was in that that year uh Cody Flack came back at some point. I want to say Leo was running with us, maybe, hmm. or he might not have been yet that year. Um, there was, what was the name? Rogerio was the owner. I can't think of the team name. He had uh, Jacob Muller.
0: Yeah, because this was the, the toxic, he's probably still toxic, toxic. racing. Toxic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. And then they had a falling out, so we started racing for Bruce at the end of that year. So we had him to deal with that whole year. I mean, we were loaded with guys. It was like every heat race was a, a feature, really.
0: There's a shameless plug. If you haven't gone back, there's that that story of Jacob Muller going from toxic to Southside is in a episode with Bruce. It's a it's a it's an interesting story of how that, that all yeah that one
1: yeah, I was watching part of that, and then I got sidetracked, and I didn't get to finish it. So I have to go back and listen to that. But yeah, I think we were in Mirabelle, Quebec, when that happened.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's. Uh, there's. There's. Because uh, it it was the same weekend they got. Uh, they got him and. Uh, did they get Pilot I think they got Pilot at that time yeah. too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's when he first started coming to the scene. I didn't even know who he was at that time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a uh, that was poof, that track was wild.
0: Yeah, those uh those SCM races like I mean we we thought Rock Maple and ECS were gnarly but they they put together some really good programs for those crossover mm-hmm. rounds we had SCM.
1: Yeah, they did. I mean that that Mirabel one in Louisville was awesome and um I can't think Home mosquito. I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh Valcor. Valcor. Yeah. I mean they mm-hmm. were always awesome. I've had some of my best races at all those events, so. Mhm.
0: So you only, you only ran the cat in that program for one year before moving mm-hmm. over for the, the one year that you're fully on the Ingalls program. Was yeah. that just looking to move back to Skidoo or was it kind of like a, you know, I want to go ride for Ingalls, It's a great program. That kind of thing. What, um, what, what prompted the move?
1: That was pretty much it. Uh, Corrin was, you know, really starting to push and, and concentrate on his stuff, which I mean, give him credit for that. Him and his dad were really dedicated to getting him to the next level. And, uh, you know, Robin and Mike approached me, I don't know, you know, towards the end of the season and, Mm -hmm. you know, we had a conversation and it was just something that I really couldn't pass up. And I mean, Mike and Robin have obviously been in the game for a long time and I respected them. And, um, you know, so it was just, it kind of worked out that way, you know, and, um, yeah, it it did. It just, it wasn't, there was nothing behind it other than just, you know, didn't not necessarily wanted to go back to ski do. I mean, my cat was, the best sled that I ever rode, probably still to this date, I could almost say that. Mm-hmm. Um, even with the, the years to come uh, that we're going to talk about. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was just, you know, Robin and Mike, I wanted to kind of concentrate on my own thing. And, you know, Corin and his dad did one thing. And then I actually, the mechanic that was with us when we were on the cat, Johnny, he ended up coming with me. Um, gotcha. And then we went and did that that year,
0: okay.
1: which, um, it was a it was a transition going from the cat back to the ski doo, and you know we struggled with a lot of stuff that year, um, just setup wise. I couldn't get comfortable on the sled. Again, I came from that cat that you know I was just I was so confident on it, and I could really do whatever I wanted, and I felt like we kind of went backwards. So we struggled that year. That was a tough year.
0: Mm-hmm. So. I mean, did you get any podiums that year or was it really just kind of a learning year of getting back? to No,
1: I got a a bunch of podiums again. I mean, it wasn't like I ran completely terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it wasn't anything like that, but I wasn't in contention the way that I would have liked to have been or that I, that I planned to be, Um, you know, just all of our chickens weren't getting in a row that year. And, you know, it's just, we had a little bit of an off season that year.
0: Mm -hmm. So for that next year and, this shows people how long I have not actually been involved in, in snowcross. that 20, <laughs> yeah. that 2012, 2013 year was my first year racing. So yes. that was when you're on your, your in program, graphics mm-hmm. scheme looks sick. Like that was yeah. my first time seeing you race. Yeah. So. That's
1: yeah. That sled was that graphics that year came out really good.
0: Yeah, no, that was, um, a, that was a, that was a sick program.
1: Yeah. So pretty much, I mean, we're, we're still under the Ingles name. I mean, they still did everything they did for me the year before. Um, mm-hmm. my uncle came on board, um, that helped out a ton, you know, ac- you know, across the board. Um, and, uh, we kind of ran under his flag that year, but, uh, I went into that year probably as prepared as I ever was. Cause I was PO'd about the year before.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And, uh, obviously it showed, I mean, we went out in Duluth and we won that, which was wild.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I definitely want to get into that because it's, you know, we've, I've talked about it quite a bit on a lot of my episodes, but there's not, these days we see East coast guys having success, but it's usually the East coast guys that are moving out there full time. Mm -hmm. Basically very rarely does a guy who's basically just running Duluth and Canterbury and then going home actually Mm -hmm. like really, really stand out. And yeah, you ended up winning the sport final at Duluth for the 2012, 2013 season from the back row. Yeah, like, I, I rewatched the video a couple weeks ago. It's on YouTube, and I was just like didn't even know you were out there for like a split second until you come yeah. like over the finish line or on that first course. It's like, holy shit, this is, mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesse's got the lead. Yeah,
1: it, yeah, but by the first corner, we had it. I mean, not mm-hmm. the whole shot corner, but the corner at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. So the first night, first night we ran third. So I was still on the podium, and it was, I want to say it was Brady Love and um, Mason. And Mm -hmm. the next day we went out and I went one, I went two, one in my heats or one, two. And that put me in the LCQ. Like we had, (laughs) I think there was a, I think there was 110 or 115 entries in sports that day. So like, if you didn't go one, one, you weren't on the front row. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think I went one, two or two, one. I can't remember the order, but either way I was in the LCQ. I got the whole shot in the LCQ. Uh, Montana just wrecked right behind me. There's actually a picture of that. And then I Not went really. on to, yeah, I went on to win the, L, you know, the LCQ. So it's like, okay, well I got first pick. So obviously I'm going to go all the way in the inside and on the parade lap, it's like, we're going to just throw a Hail Mary here. And like, I found, <laughs> I'm like, if I hug this one corner, you know, this one side, it's way flatter than all the others. You know, if I fan out, I'm like, so I just got to just turn it and go. And I mean, I did, and everyone went wide and I cut underneath and, it was like, holy crap, we got one shot to do this. And uh, it worked and I had to lead by by past ten sleds and sixty feet. And you know, then went on went on to, went on to win it and just ran away with it.
0: I'm sure you're gonna say you had the confidence like any racer always says, but it's a daunting task for regional guys to go up, especially like when it's when you're only racing there a couple times a year. A lot of times, at least back then regional pro light was was close to national sport but it was still mm-hmm. a tick off just because there's more guys you know without a doubt so, yeah
1: without a doubt and the tracks are so different and setups mm-hmm. are so different you know it, it's not the same ballpark it's not the same playground by any for Sure. um you know on the national level you have got you know just the support and the guys setting the sleds up or you know yes we had the ziggies of the world and we had the the bruces of the world that you know were really good from the east coast but aside from that it was a lot of just guessing you know again mm-hmm. and even on my end it's like you know i don't have that knowledge or that that backing to really get a sled to the kind of level that i think it should be at mm-hmm. um so yeah no it's definitely you know and again just the tracks are so different um so it, t- it took a little while i mean yeah even practicing at cheerings you know that track just is a a, a whole monster so you know it's it's good <laughs> yep. conditioning but it's still not what like the national tracks are so um yeah it's definitely uh it's i wouldn't say frightening but yeah it's scary like you know a lot of other people you gotta have your t's crossed and your eyes dotted
0: yeah i the uh the first year i ever raced uh duluth when i was in college i was never crazy fast on a snow cross track don't get it twisted but like i actually got the whole shot my first heat but I had never been around that many people on a start just because ECS never has that, those that amount of guys. So right. going into, going into the rhythm section, I like basically hit the brakes because I was like, I've never, I've never gone through a rhythm with this many guys and I mm-hmm. know they're faster than I am. Oh yeah. And that, you know, like they, it's a, it's a daunting task, no doubt.
1: Yeah. It's uh it's definitely nerve wracking for sure. I mean, you know, I had a couple years with, with the East coast circuit, that we did. Again, just if you go back to that Heroes on Cat. I mean, we had so mm-hmm. many good guys there. So, you know, we had a little bit of experience with that. It's just, again, the tracks are so different. And, you know, you're in front of this ginormous crowd, especially at Duluth. It's mm-hmm. out of control.
0: So, kind of finishing up that weekend, um, I mean, obviously, you're still, your grand plan is going home and, and racing pro light. But did you have any kind of like thoughts of maybe I should stick around here and chase this a little bit? Or was it just kind of like, that's a cool, that's a cool, that was a cool moment in my career. Hopefully it gets me some more support or some more eyes from Skidoo, but ultimately I'm, I'm going home.
1: So, yeah, I mean, the ultimate goal was to eventually be out there. I was just trying to get kind of my chickens in a row to, to be able to do that and, and get the support and the backing of it to, to, yeah, to ultimately try and run the East or the, The national circuit and and just get some more exposure um i mean obviously the manufacturers knew who i was from Mm -hmm. from riding on the east coast and having some success and that duluth win um you know but it's just being in front of them every single weekend and getting results week in and week out is you know the the goal so you so you're potentially you know in line to get one of those factory rides or or get a big ride so yeah i mean that was the ultimate plan. And that next year, after I won Duluth, I was planning on going out there and I was going to stay out there for, I think it was three races I was going to hit, you know, which is, which is a decent amount. And I was trying to figure out how to do more, um, not including, you know, and then we had the New York one as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but it just ended up that same season that I won Duluth, the first East coast race, I hurt my back really bad. Um, two herniated disc and I'm holding my vertebrae. So I ended up racing like that, that whole season. I mean, like couldn't lay in a bed flat. I had to sleep in a recliner. Like it was a, it was rough, but I raced. Mm. <laughs> um, So that next season we we're still planning on doing that. But, um, that year at Duluth, um, I wrecked in the final of the, the one race and then almost got my eye taken out If I don't know if you ever heard Oof. that story or not.
0: No, no, I haven't.
1: So wrecked in that feature so i didn't I didn't do anything fancy. went back to the trailer, changed into my street clothes and uh me and Jake Scott actually went down to watch the it was some kind of pro pro event uh some something, something fancy
0: and pro the the dominator
1: it, it
0: might have been the dominator
1: it was the dominator actually yes um so I forget who it was it was a cat I'll never forget that me and Jake were like standing on the fence where like the sponsor signs are which are like the corrugated plastic like the quarter inch thick like four by eight sheet of plastic yeah and this one of the riders i was walking by i was giving all the fans a high five and a ski caught the plastic the four oh, by eight really sheet. and it kind of like bent and when it broke free the corner of it caught me right in the eye Ooh, like right in like the corner of the eye like it didn't quite get my eyeball but you know me and jake just ducked and uh it got me <laughs> I picked my head up and he's like, Oh my God, lean forward. And it was just gushing blood. So anyway, long story short, then I was at the hospital that night. I got stitch, you know, a bunch of stitches pretty, pretty much in my eye. You know, the eye was, you know, all red. I couldn't really, I didn't race the next day. So then mm-hmm. it was kind of pointless for me to stay out there. Cause it, you know, I needed that thing to heal and it just kept rubbing on the goggles. And yep. um So we called it quits then. And then um, that ended up being my last season, believe it or not.
0: Yeah. I was, I was going through the timeline and like, I just, cause I, I remembered that year you raced in ECS and yet you, you had a mod sled at one point in time too. Like you, you yeah. had an you, you open sled. So I was like trying to figure out like, did, did he actually come back after that? Or was that actually the last year he raced?
1: That was the, that was the last full year. So in mm-hmm. between, um, what was that? 13 and 14 season. Yep. Um, I started racing cars and I mean, we could, we'll talk about that probably after we get done with the, the uh, the snowmobile career, but I that kind of stole my heart. And again, you know, my back was really messed up, so the cars were obviously way less um, demanding on my body, and you know, I could do it. And it was just still same, the same mentality, and it was a little bit less driving, and um, well, at least I thought it was until I started racing <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then when I started that 14 season on the sled. You know, we still had every intention. I did. I built a mod sled. And we were going to dabble in the pro pro class and and as soon as i started racing my back flared up again and it just Mm. didn't didn't let me go all season um so those last two seasons i really raced with a bad back
0: okay yeah it's it's unfortunate because like even i mean you could have won a pro light title anyway like you had the speed but even like Mm -hmm. the the 15 and 16 like if you go through those were like the pat nodes were gone from pro Mm -hmm. light yeah. they were out west and then pro had like a couple years pro had like five guys like yeah. you 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 really could have could have made a dent in either of those classes if you were healthy of course
1: oh yeah no for sure and i mean that you know i never really thought about kind of giving it up It was just you know the back just wouldn't wouldn't give up and it was tough and again then i you know my attention got drawn to the car thing and mm-hmm. and then i kind of ran with that and i got a lot of support in that and i was doing really well and that's you know halfway through that last season I'm like you know I just can't do it anymore the body's the body's quitting on me Mm -hmm. um you know and the car stuff was was doing really well and you know so that halfway through that season I said I think this is my last one Mm -hmm. and then it turned out it it actually was my last one but yeah I mean those two years that I was racing sleds and cars it was like we would have our final race on sleds and you know the end of March, and then that next weekend I was in a car, mm-hmm. and then I raced all the way until the week I left for Duluth the next year. Yep. And then yep. I, and then I, the trailer got switched back over to sled sled stuff, and I drove out to Duluth, and I was there. So two years in a row, I didn't have pretty much a weekend off.
0: Yeah, it's that's crazy gnarly. Like I, I did one of these with Dan Ebert, and he had a very similar trajectory as you, mm-hmm. where like he got he got to a point in his snow cross career where his body was just not doing him any favors and he's Mm -hmm. the passion was starting to go away and he's like this Mm -hmm. car thing is just so much more fun at this point in my life yeah and
1: and that's and that's really what it was and uh, you know i had one of the greatest mentors jimmy horton and you know that's he's been been through it all i mean he's this is his 50th year racing this year so you know back then he was still 40 something years into it and uh you know i just learned so much and i traveled with him and it was like this whole nother world of racing that I didn't have to beat my body up in. And it was just, mm-hmm. you know, that's where my mind went and that's what I wanted to do.
0: So I'm kind of ignorant when it comes to dirt track stuff. Tell me about it, like, you know, the, the program you were on, some of the, the series you were racing in, like what was those couple years like for you?
1: Yeah. So we pretty much started, i have never been in a car before, never even sat in a car before. I think I was at one other race and everyone's like, well, I mean, you know, jumps, you know, houses on a snowmobile so I'm sure it'll be all right. And that's pretty much what it was. It was like one one night of practice before the first opener. Um you know, it was just feeling the car out and then you know, a couple laps around. It's like, okay, now I'm, you know, figuring it out, you know, to the point where I could at least get around the track. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I mean, so we started in, you know, just the Craig class, you know, really just getting my feet wet, learning the cars and stuff and and then, uh, you know, my car owner at the time, he's, you know, he's like, oh, we're done with this. We're just going to keep moving you up. And, you know, the kept getting bigger and bigger motors and then we're bumping up classes. So we were just running every Saturday night at a place called Bridgeport uh, Speedway in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as I got better in the car, we started traveling to New York and then we started traveling to Pennsylvania. And then we were down in Delaware, you know, and then it was like, OK, now we're all over the place. I travel more now than I did then. Yeah, you know, it wasn't just Saturday nights anymore. It was Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, sometimes Friday nights. So it was like, you know, every day we were driving somewhere else to go and race, but it was awesome. It was like the greatest, you know, again, it's the same mentality, same racing mentality, just not beating your body up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was cool. Learned a lot, did really well. Um, I think I got second in the rookie championship because we had a mechanical failure one time. And then, uh, yeah, I got like the Rising Star Award um that first year out and we were uh the fleet was you know, we kept getting more cars, more more motors to run different places and and everything and uh yeah, we were having a good time.
0: Were you kinda considering I mean, you went all in on snowcross for a long time and in, 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 a lot of ways you were all in on this too, but did it, did you consider like basically just saying, I want to, I want to chase this now, or was it still just a, just a hobby for you?
1: I no, it was, it was full time. It was, we're going to okay. chase this and we're going to, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be someone in the sport. Um, unfortunately I think just from racing nonstop and even throughout the snowcross career, I did a lot, you know, I drove the truck, I did the maintenance on this, you know, I, everything was mm-hmm. really on me. You know, as a 16, 17 year old kid. And then when the car thing happened, and that was, you know, that I, two years in a row where I had no, had no, you know, no off weekends. And I pretty much just got to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so that dream of that, you know, was kind of just going to be put on hold. And and then I got a job offer to go down to North Carolina and build uh, outlaw late models for Lucas Oil. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just went down there to go do that and kind of take a break. and. I've kind of been kicking myself for doing that for a while. And I think about getting back in the car pretty much every single day. And I just, I've mm. been fighting that urge off. Cause if I'm, <laughs> if I'm going to go back and do it, it's going to be hundred percent and we're not going to, you know, quit until we're one of the best or the best, you mm. know? So it's like, you know, it's not just, Hey, you know, we're just going to go and do this every now and then. Like if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. So um, I've uh, definitely been fighting that for a while, but yeah, that was the goal. It was to go and, and be the man.
0: It is funny. You talk to a lot of guys who've hung it up in, in any form of racing that don't, you know, don't even really consider racing anymore. And mm-hmm. people ask like, you ever think about getting back into it? They're like, Oh, all the time, but I know yeah. better. Like I know myself. I yeah. can't, I can't
1: exactly. I, I, I can't. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, and that's the problem. And, I mean, I guess it's mature of us, you know, we're not the mm-hmm. young, dumb and, uh, racers that we once were or that, you know, just didn't care and just wanted to go and win. And, and I guess we could kind of shove our ego ego to the side every now and then once you get a little bit more mature, but it is, it's tough. I mean, you know, I'm still involved in the dirt racing a little bit here and there. I go still help Jimmy who's still racing. And, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's tough. I think about it. I really do, you know, and I, I met so many good people along the way and, you know, if I wanted to do it, I know I could. I'd have the backing and the support to do it. It's just, Mm -hmm. again, it's, it's a lifestyle change because it's not, you know, just once in a while, it's not going to be a hobby. It's still going to be, Back to that hundred and ten percent all the time, (laughs) and I've been enjoying what I'm doing lately. So,
0: yeah, no, hundred percent, and yeah, I have some of my some of my old snowcross friends that are always like, "Yeah, I'd love to just buy a race sled and just do practice days at ERX." And I'm like, "Yeah," but then it's a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Then you're doing a yeah, I'll do one night of grassroots or something, or I'll do a regional, and then before you know it, you're right back into it. Like it, it does. It's not that easy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, once you get the itch again, it's hard to uh, it's hard to get it gone again.
0: So let's kind of transition into some of this YouTube stuff, Jesse, because it's it's grown quite a bit. Like it's become a a pretty big part of your life at this point in time. So
1: yeah, it's um, a thing. It's a thing it, these days. <laughs> it is
0: big time, big time. So from going into the timeline, channel first was was created in twenty seventeen. I don't know what it looked like in 2017 if it was just nothing. you uploading nothing okay nothing fair.
1: never even uploaded first <laughs> first up, first up uh, that must have just been when i made
0: my account I guess exactly
1: yep um but no first video was right around this time in 2020 wow okay God. um yeah it was uh so time, i mean timeline from when i went down south to to building the cars and then I came back up and I got back into snowmobiling just recreationally for fun. A buddy of mine let me borrow a sled, and we went up one weekend. And then I bought my own sled, and it's like, okay, here we go again. Um, but you know, one thing led to another, and I uh, I got on a Polaris, and I was working with Bruce, and he was doing my shocks, and you know, even me, I was still learning, you know, how these trail sleds and consumer sleds, you know, like to work. And mm-hmm. every avenue I went down to try and find good information. It was just no, I mean, I obviously had a good understanding of sleds from the racing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, what are these guys even talking about? So then I, you know, I called Bruce and I'm like, Hey, I saw this last night. And he's like, nope, wrong, no, nope, wrong, <laughs> no, nope, wrong. And I'm like, okay, someone needs a place to go that they can be like, I, I trust this guy or guys, and, you know, talking about maintenance or setup, and just try and get everyone remotely educated on these sleds mm-hmm. and that's where the channel started that's what it started as It Was just hey i'm gonna do some cool builds and uh bring you guys along for the ride and whatever happens happens you know but it'd just be a place where people can go and and learn and that's exactly what it turned out to be and it just blew up more than i anticipated it i guess you'd say
0: <laughs> yeah i'm i'm in a similar boat as you like just younger guys where i have any question at all the first place i go is youtube and if i can't Absolutely. find the- If i can't find the answer there i'll look but if it's if the answer's not there it's it's Mm -hmm. probably not going to happen i'm probably not going to go down that route
1: everything is on youtube Mm -hmm. everything's on youtube and i had a really good friend that started a channel way back for diesel trucks and that exploded and took off so i had some little bit of background of kind of what you had to do to make it work and um you know i just stuck with that just stayed consistent and you know grew and grew and still grown like i said you just we just touched that seven thousand mark you know just the other day
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the goal so, is to grow it as big as it will get
0: so you kind of identified the the gap in the market and and what you really wanted to produce for content but what was there hesitation like i mean i mean i host a podcast There, it's it's scary man like the first it, before you get into it it's it's scary
1: it definitely was and i mean i've been in front of the camera before again me you know my old buddy that had the other youtube and i was you know, a big part in that one. So I was used to being in front of the camera, but all of a sudden, when it was you on the line and it was like just you and the camera, it's like, wow, this is weird. I remember doing my first video. It took me like four and a half hours, and the video is like eight minutes long because I just didn't know what to do. <laughs> For sure. You know, it's just weird standing in front of the camera, like videoing myself, and it's like I've done that before, but there was other guys around. You know, mm-hmm. so it was uh, it was definitely a learning curve. And then you know, getting into the editing side, you know, that's a whole nother ballpark and I'm not the best, uh, technologically advanced human being. So, you know, that was a whole nother side of things, but you know, we just stayed consistent and built a cool sled that year that a lot of people liked. And then, uh, yeah, we're still building really cool stuff now though.
0: Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into this a little bit too, but one of the bigger things that you just touched on, I want to emphasize for anybody listening, any kind of content you're creating, whether it's social media, YouTube, my program small, but it is snowmobile content consistency. Consistency is so key for mm-hmm. any kind of growth in this area. Like you gotta be putting up stuff every day, every week, and people need mm-hmm. to know where they can tune into it regularly. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I mean, that, and that was, that was huge for, you know, the growth of mine. It's like, I gotta try and produce two videos a week as you know, best I can, even if it's something dumb, you know, mm-hmm. but just stay in front of people.
0: What's been, you know, I've watched a lot of your videos and a lot of stuff you've done with Bruce and then just some of your regular, your trips, you know, just stuff you're doing, just creating content. Mm-hmm. What's been the best content you've had kind of received at this point in time? Like what are the topics all the listeners are, are asking for from you?
1: We, uh, it's pretty interesting my channel, it does, it consists of a lot of informative stuff that I do with Bruce, you know, whether that be just model overviews or setups for those sleds where we really dive in depth about you know, shock valving and springs and weights and this, that, and the other thing. And, um, people really, really love that, but they also love just the personal side of stuff, like me going Mm -hmm. up north with the guys and, you know, some of the behind the scenes and joking around people love a mishmash of a lot of stuff. So, you know, it's tough to, and I, am always questioning what's the right path here, um, Mm -hmm. and I'll probably question it for the entire life of the channel, but it's (laughs) like, you know, what do people want to see? Mm -hmm. you know and it's just you try and do your best to to give them a plethora of stuff to view and uh hope they like it is really what it is but yeah i mean it's it is it's a it's pretty much split down the middle of you know informative stuff and just cool funny joking stuff
0: yeah one of the things i really enjoy about whether it's your channel or or c-tax vlogs and things like Mm -hmm. that is just a lot of it i you know everybody loves high production value of course it makes it look cool but just mm-hmm. almost like the, the raw nature of the video yeah like that's mm-hmm. that's the stuff I, I really enjoy and I think a lot of people really they really respect and they really trust it
1: yeah they do and I mean it, you know it, it's tough to make it you know I mean I think I do a pretty good job but you know it's uh it's a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. it is a lot between you know it's not just pulling the camera out yeah sometimes yes it is. But a lot of times it's planned behind the gra- you know behind the grounds or behind the camera but you know no one sees that end of it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, even like I mean it's it's as simple as hey, I'm going to do this this quick video showing you what a carbide is, but I got to make sure all the lighting's right, I got to make mm-hmm. sure there's no branding in the background that clashes with any of my sponsors or anything right. like that. Like there's yeah. e- even a 10 second shot needs so much planning.
1: Mhm. Yeah, I mean, that, that first year that I did the build and that was before Bruce got involved and, and everything like that. It's like the build that I did that year would have taken me a half a day. Mm. And it took me like two months. Yep, Because <laughs> I had to do each step one by one and I had to video it all and I had to make sure mm-hmm. that I had it all videoed. And it's like my two months were planned out just to get these videos out in line where they would make sense, where it's not just mishmash. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that's a, lot, a lot of planning goes on, but, uh, yeah, I know we're not super high production. We're not, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a professional thing. You know, we're still, you know, we try and make it look nice, but we're still, you know, just two guys in the garage talking about snowmobiles.
0: <laughs> I gotta have, uh, I gotta have Bruce senior as a, as a guest sometime. He's, he's got yeah. some stories.
1: Agaman's <laughs> forgotten more about snowmobiles than I'll ever know.
0: <laughs> exactly. and uh,
1: He's just been in a game for so long. I mean, I raced every single time I lined up on the line at one of the snow cross races, whether that be national or East coast or Canada, his sled, one of his sleds were there and I raced again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to me, one of the, one of the funnier aspects of, of Bruce is always just like, you know if it's a if it's a factory team guys with his level of of knowledge and understanding mm-hmm. would probably be just in the trailer but bruce, mm-hmm. like i have so Out. many vivid vivid memories mm-hmm. of just bruce carrying a jack stand just walking mm-hmm. just walking yeah. to the starting line with a jack stand like just, yeah he's, he's in a, it he's in it oh
1: he's oh he's in it i mean he's a, he's a worker he's in it you know and he takes pride in his stuff so it's cool and i'm i'm happy to have him you know in my corner these days and I mean, our relationship has grown so much over the last few years. I mean, he's one of my best friends. I've practically my own room in his house. I mean, I go up there, we stay, we go out, we have a grand old time. Um, he's just, a, he's a good guy. And he was a good guy even back then when I was racing against him. You know, if mm-hmm. I ever needed anything and I didn't have it, he was the first trailer I went to. Mm-hmm. You know, always right there to help anyone. And, you know, you just can't take, you can never take that away from him.
0: So you've kind of touched on a little bit with some of the, some of the hurdles, whether it's not being tech savvy and I'm not tech savvy either. Like, don't, don't get it twisted, but you know, and then the confidence behind the camera and things like that. But if you had to pick one thing, like what's, what's been the biggest challenge for you besides just like, you know, growing a channel and stuff like that, what's been the biggest challenge for you?
1: Getting thumbnails actually.
0: Oh really yeah
1: they're miserable <laughs> they're so hard um but i actually i finally got an app i found it like halfway through last season that i like and it's pretty user friendly and you can make it look pretty good without you know really diving in but that was that was a hard part but uh no editing just period just plain old editing i mean mm-hmm. i have you know writing videos you get back you have eight hours of footage and it's like uh mm-hmm. why yeah, yeah, that's that, that's the tough part, you know, that, and again, that's aside from just plain old making content and, and making sure that you have something to post.
0: And a lot of times you're fighting just like, Hey, i actually have like a solid 40 minutes worth of good content, but if I'm only getting like an average of 20 or 30% consumption, mm-hmm. I gotta, I gotta make a 10 minute video at all that stuff. If I want exactly. anybody to watch the whole mm-hmm.
1: thing. Right. And that's, that's the constant battle too, is, you know, you're looking at the analytics and you're trying to figure out you know do people like longer videos do they like shorter videos you know what is keeping their attention it's, hot. it's' it's a lot that goes into it and I mean right now my biggest thing that I'm trying to figure out and I had a big conversation with Bruce about it it's like you know in my analytics 77% of the people that watch my stuff are not isn't they're not subscribed yep <laughs> and it's like yep what, what if, why why is there this gap here? I'm like, if 70, I'd have, you know, almost 20,000 people at this point.
0: Oh yeah. No, it's, you I, know. I, I feel, I fight the, the same battle you do every day when I look at the, the total listens on an episode and it's like mm-hmm. five times what the follower number is mm-hmm. yeah. and you're like, something's, something's not adding up here.
1: Yeah something's, <laughs> yeah. something's strange here. So trying to figure out how to just grab more people and get them to, you know, just hit that subscribe button. That's all it is.
0: I would imagine too. You know, you're, you're pretty, you were pretty active on, on social prior to the, the YouTube stuff too, but the, the social media component of, of find getting people to find the YouTube channel and promoting it there. That's a whole different beast in itself. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, the, like, just like you said, I was very active on social media just with my own stuff and everything like that. And when I first started the channel, I think I did a good job juggling it, but now I've gotten so you know, stuck on just doing the YouTube stuff that I, I have slacked on my social stuff. And, you know, that's not good either. You know, you need to kind mm-hmm. of hit everyone from all angles and really, you know, get them to know who you are, you know, whether that be on YouTube or on Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. So I mean, it's tough. It's a, juggling a lot of stuff. And then you have Twitter on top of it, or uh, mm-hmm. not Twitter, TikTok.
0: Oh, and it's yeah.
1: like, hi, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's just like it would be a full, legit full-time job to post on all of them all the time.
0: Yeah. And that's why I, I give a lot of credit to the guys that, that still have full-time jobs. I mean, we, we mm-hmm. both do, but guys that have yeah. full-time jobs and are able to post like five times a day and do all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff like that's, that's a chore, but I have mad yeah. respect for people who can do it.
1: Absolutely. I mean, but you know, it's, it's kind of what you got to do to get on the map. Mm-hmm and uh it's just trying to figure out a way to to juggle it all you know 24 hours in a day everyone gets it Just <laughs> how you use it
0: so at this point i mean i know uh i saw you got to do a a little event at uh, at the biggie show uh prusak had you out there you and a couple other a uh, couple mm-hmm. other guys talking about kind of your your world because these mm-hmm. days you you guys are media in a way your content contributors in the snowmobile world so i'm going to ask you this then what are your thoughts, just generally speaking, on the media landscape in, in snowmobiling as a whole, whether it's YouTube, magazines, podcasts? like What, do, what are your thoughts? Where, where do you think we're at? Where do you think we can improve? Anything.
1: It's tough. I mean, I think snowmobiling as an industry is tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our winters are getting shorter, which makes it 10 times tougher. Oh, yeah. Prices of, Prices of everything are through the roof. Um, and I just think we, I think everyone is doing a good job. I think all the YouTubers are doing good. You as podcasts, I think everyone's doing a good job of bringing good publicity to the sport and trying to get new people into it. You know, it is, it's an upward battle though, just due to the fact that again, our winners are getting shorter and everything's getting more expensive. hmm
0: yeah, I think a lot of times people, not, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but a lot of people mm-hmm. severely uh, they overestimate how big the snowmobile industry is. They, yeah, <laughs> they think yeah. there's a lot more money and and product to go around. Mm-mm. In a lot of cases, it's it's a really small world, and it's a lot of it's a lot of B two B stuff, endemic sponsors and things mm-hmm. like that. So um, we got to continue to support it as enthusiasts as much as we can.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean now you know again I, I, I started the channel to give people an av- avenue to go down to to learn about snowmobiles and learn about setups and XYZ but at this point yes we're still doing that but we're also bringing good publicity to it and I do I feel like almost like a promoter of snowmobiling in general you know not wasn't necessarily my plan for it and again I didn't really anticipate kind of being in the position that I'm in right now but you know, it is. It's huge. And we have, you know, little kids watching and, you know, they're the future of the sport. But again, you go back to the demographics, like we talked about a little while ago, mine are 45 to 55 year old guys. That's my big. That's <laughs> yep. my biggest demographic <laughs> I have.
0: Uh, I, I believe it, but at the same time, that's pretty, that's pretty cool only mm-hmm. because that's a big age bracket for the print media guys as well. Mm-hmm. And usually... The YouTube or or podcast is a lot more younger guys, but it is cool to see that that's that's the core group of your guys.
1: Yeah, it is, it is, and I mean, you know, underneath that you got 35, 45. I think that's number two, and then I even got like sixty five plus guys. I'm I'm repping the, uh, <laughs> the old timers here.
0: Oh man, that's that's sick. Yeah, but no, it is. No.
1: Yeah, I mean, we got to get some. We got to get the younger, you know, the, the kids, kids. I'm not talking about teenagers. Oh, well, I mean, guess teenagers, but. Um, you know, we gotta get the little guys into it and, and get them enjoying the sport and so they're gonna be the future of it.
0: What's uh yeah this one's off script, but do you have any cool like any cool fan stories like when you were at the show or anything, but like a bunch of people walk up, Oh yeah, Jesse, I watch you on YouTube, stuff like that? Constantly. All the oh, time, yeah?
1: all the time, all the time. I mean I ride in Tug Hill mostly and a lot of you know, that's a huge um just snowmobile population and every restaurant or gas station or on the side of the trail people stop and and talk to me and you know they watch the stuff and they love it and you know it's the greatest thing and you know thank you thank you thank you you know how can we give back type of thing so it's it's reached a lot a lot of people and it's cool to to know that
0: it's awesome it's awesome. Uh, before I jump into some of my final thoughts, I wanted to give you an opportunity to to give a shout out to any of the partners you have on the on the YouTube channel.
1: Yes, I mean I I partnered with some of the best guys in the industry. I mean, guys that supported me when I raced, and you know, guys that have kind of come on board since the the whole you know YouTube craze has started. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, number one, first and foremost, is Bruce from from Southside. We already talked about him on the channel or on the podcast, and. Um, You know, he's just been an intricate part of, you know, kind of getting us to this point now or, you know, where we're doing so much detailed stuff and really we have an inside look. I mean, he obviously owns a dealership, so we have all these different sleds that we could touch on and we have all these different components. And I mean, he is just and he's so into it now with me. I mean, it's it's awesome and definitely shout out to him. We have CNA Pro who's been with me since day one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Woody's Traction. Um, I've been with him for a couple years now and they've been incredible rock speed effects. Those guys over there are awesome too. Uh, Will Velocity sled performance, great guy, super pumped to be with him. Um, I actually, I went to him and I'm like, if I'm going to be sponsored by a performance guy, I want it to be the best. And and in the Polaris world, he is the best. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have, you know, one, three, nine designs. He helps me out all the time. Chris, uh, Again, he was one of my teammates, and we were on in Ingalls. We drove to Minnesota together. <laughs> we've been we've been through a lot together. We almost wrecked my brand new truck, his brand new trailer, and all of our race sleds going to Minnesota one year. So he'll <laughs> <laughs> always have a special place in my heart. <laughs> so, oh, man. Awesome. yeah, just anyone, yeah, anyone else? Climb jumped on board this year. So, anyway, awesome, awesome guys in our corner.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So I want to jump into some, some final questions for you here, Jesse. Mm-hmm. So granted you only actually raced, you didn't race snow for, for a ton of years, if you actually look at the timeline, but you had a lot well, of fast teammates in some of those years. So I'm curious if you had to pick one teammate you had and don't say Matthew Marin, cause everybody said Matthew Morin, who's the most talented teammate. You think you've ever had.
1: If, if it wasn't for Matthew. <laughs>
0: If it wasn't for Matthew, who would you okay, say? Okay, because
1: that that would be my number one. <laughs> but no, if it wasn't for him, and he was actually never my teammate, but it would be pilot Oh yeah, Michael pilot Okay, he okay. he had raw talent. He was annoying because he was so raw. He put zero effort into anything, and he was always there. His track smart, he was so be stupid track smart. He won so many races against me because he outsmarted me on the track mm-hmm. he did i mean he came from a, a pro quad background and he raced a ton from when he was a little kid and uh he got on a sled and it was just he was so track smart um if he really put his mind to it and i hope he listens to this because he'll, he'll yell at me we're still he's still one of my best friends oh yeah uh, but uh if he really committed to it and trained the way that he should have and and really did the right things, I mean, he would have been one of the greatest.
0: Yeah. I remember watching him because like when, when I started racing, that was like only like his third year racing mm-hmm. sleds, but that mm-hmm. was like the, that was the year he won the the pro light title and he was, yep. he was dabbling in pro that year, mm-hmm. you know, on the, on yep. Bill and Martin's old sled and stuff like that. But like, he was just, he was levels above everybody else. Like he was. was just it's not, just it was not even fair.
1: You know, and everyone's like, oh, power to weight. And it's like, this guy is 6'4, he's like 220 pounds. I'm 5'8, like 170. And it's just like, he just manhandled the sled. It was unbelievable what he could do. And again, no practice, no training, no nothing. That was him off the couch, working at nine to five or whatever he was working, probably more than that. And he was just, he was just good. He was just plain old good, annoyingly good. Annoyingly good. He actually landed on me, that's how we became friends.
0: I've heard a little bit of this story, but if you mm-hmm. want to go into detail, I, I would love to hear we're it. At, we we're
1: at we're at Booneville, New York, and it was a huge rhythm section backed up to like the pits. And uh, my it was right off the hole shot, and I forget how we were off rhythm with one another. And he ended up landing on me and squashed my ankle, and he felt bad, <laughs> so he came on my trailer afterwards, and he's like, "Dude, I'm so sorry. Help me wrap my my boot or wrap my ankle, we'll get it back on my boot." And now I still can't get rid of him.
0: <laughs> uh For anybody who hasn't watched any of Jesse's videos, there's an awesome uh, couple of videos of of Mike Pilot doing his uh, his endurance race on a he's on a Tenere right yeah Tenere 700 yeah yeah <laughs> on a 24
1: hour Ironman race he's gonna race a 20 he's gonna race 24 hours and again this is Pilot off his couch no training at all I got to the race he didn't even tell us that he couldn't even walk he he had. Slip disc or something. And I'm like, what are we doing here? And he's like, I'll be fine. <laughs> so he's just, you know, again, it's just no thought, just go, you know, just do it. And he normally does really well. I mean, people, people went wild. It was, uh, it, was it was quite the show. That's for sure. We're the only one there on a 450 pound bike.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it, it sounded good. Like you watch a video, I think it sounded good in the woods. It was, it, it was did. pretty cool. Oh
1: yeah. No, definitely cool. And, you know, it ended up being the bike ended up was just too big for what we needed. So it's, it's completely ripped apart now. And it's got a ton of custom one-off stuff and it's getting a YZ 450 front end on it. It's like, here we go.
0: <laughs> oh man. So looking back, um, kind of mentioned you stepped away from racing just cause you were fighting, fighting your body, which I think a lot of us can, a lot of us can relate to, but you know. Mm-hmm under different circumstances you wish you would have stuck around a little bit longer or are you kind of happy with, with where, how it ended?
1: I mean, I am happy with how it ended. I mean, I went off on a good foot and I mean, we we're still competitive and it, I wasn't, I definitely didn't, you know, stay around and, and just drag it out longer just cause I loved it. I mean, I definitely stepped away when I was still competitive, which I mean is tough to do. Um, mm-hmm. but I wish I knew now or then what I know now about, fitness and and your body and everything because i would have been able to to figure my stuff out and i definitely would have been able to not have that back be as bad as it was those last few years and you know i might have been in it a little bit longer
0: yeah it's a it's a really tough aspect to motocross snowcross things like that where you basically have to have it all figured out when you're like 17 if you really want to if you really want to chase it and most of us don't you know Mm -hmm. we don't figure that out till too late
1: yeah yeah i mean it's a you want to mature quick get in the racing (laughs) because you have you have to you can't there's no you know i mean very very few positions there can you actually you know not be mature and uh and um you'll be able to do that so you know, I was seventeen years old, just got my license and I'm driving a three fifty dually and a forty foot fifth wheel across the country and it's like, Well, figure it out, Jess. You know what I mean? It's like you're driving to Canada in a in a snowstorm, you know, by myself. And it's like, Yep, gotta mm-hmm. go race. Here I go. So you know, it's it's I grew up quick.
0: For sure. For sure.
1: I'm trying to think. I was I don't even think I was twenty one when I when I retired from snowcross, Oh really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure I wasn't. Ugh, yeah, I might've just turned 21.
0: It It's weird. Cause I didn't start, I didn't start racing until I was 17. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, it's already too late. Like you're not, yep. unless you're like a, unless you're like a pilot or you're mm-hmm. like a Ryan Springer. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's too late at that mm-hmm. point in time. Mm-hmm. So it's, It's rough sometimes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, you know, it's just the way of life, though. You know, you got to hit it right and, you know, I give all these guys credit that are doing it at a professional level because it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's aside from physically draining, it's, you know, it's mentally draining, too. Mm -hmm. You you know, a ton of people relying on you to perform and, you know, sponsors and contracts and this, that and the other thing. And it's a lot. It's a lot, especially, like you said, because they start so young. You know, and you have the 17 year old signing contracts and stuff, and it's like, hey, we're relying on you. Let's go.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I but think that, there's a the level of that, world. there's a level of that too, where you see pretty much any of us when we finally step away from racing, we almost like just take like a year off and don't even think about snowmobiles. Like you just, mm-hmm. you, you live it for so long and you just need to step away and you yeah. just don't want to think about it for a little while.
1: And I did. There was a whole winter where I didn't even touch one. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. didn't even want to be around it because I didn't want to get anything in my head. And, you know, and then I came out. What well, I came out of retirement at some point.
0: Oh yeah. I remember there was a picture of you on, uh, on Danny's stock sled. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, here it comes. He's mm-hmm. back in it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I was very, very out of shape for that. And that was a, <laughs> that was a rough one. And then I came out of, I came out of retirement again, I think a couple of years later, I was in really good shape and that was like, Oh man, I could do this now.
0: <laughs> uh, and I
1: fought it and I actually, I got second in pro light feature. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I was in Lake George.
0: Oh, okay. Oh yeah. That, that, that could have been, I'm sure you were thinking at that point in time, like, dude, I'm, I'm competitive. Like this, this, oh, this a, could be it.
1: <laughs> without a doubt. There's a picture of me hugging Pelot after the race. I was like, I almost went, I jumped into the pro feature that day too, right after the pro light.
0: Really? Mhm. <laughs> oh yeah. man, it if it just for anybody listening like that's there's not much left for for racing on the east coast, but it <laughs> it would have been it would have been really cool to see Jesse make a comeback. That would have mm-hmm. been that would have got a lot of attention.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to dabble in this whole cross country thing this year. Oh yeah? Yeah, Justin Brandt, the uh, Adirondack cross country. Okay. He's got a, ter- he's got a terrain race um I think in Salisbury, New York, I want to say. And mm-hmm. uh, the plan is to run that that weekend and probably throw my ring right in or my hat right in the pro ring and see what I do. <laughs> That'll
0: be pretty cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I tried cross country a couple of times and it was it was back when I was still racing snow cross. So I was like mm-hmm. on my RS and it's not yeah. set up for it anyway. No. But I, you know, I, I thought like snow cross required crazy amounts of fitness no. cross country, dude. Mm-hmm. gnarly
1: <laughs> yep yep cross country i mean they definitely have their own you know niches but yeah fitness is something you need for both across mm-hmm. the board and it's amazing because people have no idea that's even a oh thing. for
0: sure for sure until like, you actually you try it yeah. yeah
1: what do you okay. mean it's like yeah okay
0: yeah the the my favorite one is somebody says yeah i'm pretty fast on the trail so mm-hmm. i should be really good at cross country yeah all yep. right okay we'll see.
1: <laughs> yeah it's not normally the case <laughs> not normally the case but
0: so if you could give any advice to any snowmobile enthusiasts who are kind of in a similar boat as you where they they want to create something on their own they want to create something bigger they want to become a a content creator whether it's on a small scale or or maybe bigger with a with a big youtube channel what advice would you give those guys Yeah.
1: Uh, It's so funny. Um, I answered this question at the Big E show too. And it's just dream big. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something because you can do it. You just got to try. Be persistent Mm -hmm. and do not give up. You know, if you have that drive and you have that want, then there's nothing that is going to stop you. You know, Mm -hmm. there's going to be hurdles along the way. It's going to suck from time to time, but don't give up. Dream big and don't give up.
0: And it's also it's also a slow burn. Like it's a, it's a, it's a uphill climb, but you just gotta, you gotta keep at it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I mean. You don't give up like hurdles. There's going to be, as my parents say, I used to walk uphill, both to school uphill, both ways in the snow.
0: And it's like, yeah,
1: that's kind of what we're at right now. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's tough. It's a slow burn. It's not an overnight success. Very rarely is it an overnight success, I should say. Mm -hmm. And you just got to stay consistent like we said earlier in the podcast and just keep chugging along, keep chugging along. Don't get discouraged. Just keep
0: going. Any cool things on the horizon for either the channel or the, or the merch line with three twenty two um, threads.
1: Yeah. So that is actually a good plug. I didn't even plug my own merch on this entire thing. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. We're going to try and try and get a another, another line of, uh, Clothing coming here, a little bit more snowmobile specific for for the guys that want that kind of stuff. And uh, working on another giveaway, just trying to figure out exactly what I how and what I want to do. Um, that seems to be the cool thing to do these days. So we're going to jump on that bandwagon. We've already mm-hmm. done two of them; they've been successful, so I'm going to keep doing that. And then uh, this year, as far as sleds, we're just going to keep building cool stuff like we've been. I mean, we're already. Bruce has already got a bunch of stuff. My sled hasn't come in yet. His sled's in, so got a lot of cool, cool builds coming. So you know, we're just gonna keep doing our thing and having fun and bringing the camera around to to video it.
0: Awesome, awesome. Looking forward to it for sure. Well, thanks again, Jesse. Really appreciate the time. Uh, you kind of been on my list for a long time ever since I started I was just going through the roster of East Coast guys that I knew would be would be fun to chat with so mm-hmm. um, yeah super cool to chat with you and yeah I've really enjoyed the the YouTube growth as well so um, super supportive of that
1: thank you and I appreciate you having me on here I mean it's you know honor to be on here and you to spend this hour and whatever it is with me and talking sleds and you know my entire career and I do I just appreciate it and you're doing a hell of a job you know doing what you're doing on your end
0: I really appreciate that, man. Really do. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Jesse James Bonaduce on the Carbide Podcast. Good stuff, as always, from Jesse. He's always been one of the sharper guys we've had in the pit, so it's always fun to talk shop and talk racing with him. As I was looking back on some of the results for this episode, Jesse happened to fall into a strange time in the world of regional snowcross. The regional series wasn't big enough that we didn't have riders leaving for the Nationals, but it also wasn't small enough that leaving was a necessity. So you end up with a lot of these what-if scenarios. Jesse's last year in 2014, that pro light class had him, Leo and Hunter Patnode, and Montana Jess. In 2015, those three guys had all left to chase the Nationals full-time. You look at those three guys, plus the long list of guys that Jesse beat in Duluth in 2012, Guys like Zach Mason, Cole Cattu, Jake Angove. It just really made me think of what Jesse could have done on the national circuit if the injuries hadn't happened. Thanks again to Jesse for the time and great discussion. If you haven't already, check out his channel, JesseJames322 on YouTube, and his merch line at 322threads.com. He's got a really cool logo, so it all turns out super sick. Thanks again to the listeners for the continued support. Be sure to subscribe, follow us on socials, And as always, take care.